Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and first off today, I'd like to make an announcement that Mandarin Blueprint was featured on the Language Mastery Show, the podcast run by John Fotheringham of languagemastery.com. We have been a big fan of John for years. Uh, he wrote a book called Master Mandarin, and he also has a book called Master Japanese. Uh, and he's been an inspiration to us. He's made uh, a lot of what he wrote in Master Mandarin was a part of the underlying uh, framework and philosophy of Mandarin Blueprint. So it was a great honor to be on his show, and it was a really fun conversation. I listened to the whole thing uh, back. We actually recorded it a, a couple months ago, and uh, it was really cool to hear his perspectives on things, and I'm sure that all of you will really enjoy it. So I've linked to it in the show notes right away. And uh, hey, just go listen to that podcast if you want and uh, leave this one for later because it's uh, far more interesting probably. <laughs> so anyway, thanks so much again to John Fotheringham of languagemastery.com. And uh, please peruse his site, uh, check out what he has to offer, buy Master Mandarin. Uh, you know, we're not getting any affiliate commission for that. Just buy it because it's a great book. Uh, so... Uh, thanks so much to John again for uh, helping us out by having us on his show and also just for doing all his great work in the language acquisition field over the years. So next, I'd like to talk about something that is um, a change that we've decided to make to the course structure that I think many of you will find very interesting. So until now... Phase three of the course is when we introduce uh, sentences. So you've already learned characters and components and how to learn them. And you've learned how to learn vocabulary. And then you get into sentences. But there's two things that we've wanted to kind of improve upon when we got some feedback from people. So one is that we want to provide better mnemonic suggestions for our two character or more vocabulary lessons. So that's to say the new vocabulary unlocked lessons up until now. Now in phase two, uh, Luke is working on making some new videos for that uh, to kind of establish it in phase two as a mnemonic technique. It's not as... Um, or the Chinese would say yanggu, uh, strict as the Hanzi movie method. It's a little bit more free association based. However, we want people when they're learning two character words to have a better grasp of how to come up with good images and how to think of certain mnemonic techniques just to have your relationship with the word develop at the level of the word. So you can learn words through context, especially when you get to the intermediate course. At that point, your grammar is strong enough that you can actually learn a new word just by learning the characters and then directly seeing it in context. But in the early stages of the course, you need a little bit more time at the word level. You need to think a little bit more about how can I connect with this word in sort of a more mnemonic style, a more uh, free association, connect with what you already know style, which is that zone of proximal development that's so important for learning anything and particularly language. So what we've done is we've shifted or we're going to shift the uh, order of the lessons and add in a new type of lesson. So starting in phase three, the first change we're making is that we're moving all of the sentences and uh, all of the different sort of um, vocabulary in context to the end of each level. 
So the first half of the level, you'll be focusing on the Henza movie method and coming up with mnemonics for individual vocabulary words. And then the second half of the level, you'll be looking at those vocabulary words and single character words in context. So in sentences, basically. Uh, and so why did we decide to do this? Well, Ben Metcalf, who we did a case study with, he gave me this feedback that I thought was really logical and it makes it makes a lot of sense, which is that think about what will happen if you put the Henza movie method first and you put the vocabulary uh, learning first. Well, you'll be unsuspending your vocabulary flashcards and your Henza movie method flashcards ahead of seeing them in context, which means that not only will you see them on the course platform, but you'll also do a few reviews with them before you actually see them in sentences, which means you have a stronger grasp of them on the character level and on the vocabulary level. So that means that when you arrive at the sentence, it's not brand new, right? And our thinking before was, okay, you learn the character through the Henza movie method, and then you learn the uh, word uh, through a vocabulary unlocked lesson, and then you immediately see that word in context, you're getting bombarded with the word. And that's uh, not, it's not like I can't follow our logic there, but what I think we got wrong there is that you need a bit more time with the character in the word, having seen it at least three or four times in your flashcards before it's reasonable to put it into a sentence. Because then when you arrive at the sentence, it's not like, oh, I've never seen this before. It's like, I've seen these three or four times. So it's now it's really solidifying them. Now seeing it the fifth time in the context of a sentence, I'm really starting to get the hang of it. And of course, as you continue, you will get um, you know, even better at this process. So that's the first change. We're moving all of the contextual grammar building language acquisition section to the second half of each level. Oh, and this also has another advantage. The other advantage is that if you wish, you can leave the contextual acquisition to later. So you can just go through the first half of level 13 and decide, okay, I'll worry about sentences later and go to the first half of level 14 and just do the Henza movie method and vocabulary for a while and then go back and do the second half of level 13 and the second half of level 14. So that's another advantage that is you know, very appealing to us in terms of what will make it easier for you. But the other thing we've done is we're going to add in a new type of lesson which is just called vocab unlocked from the character you just learned. So vocab unlocked from lai, lai zi, shang lai, uh, xia lai, guo lai, right? So those are the four words that unlock after you learn the character lai, which means to come. And so after you learn those four characters, or sorry, those four, uh, the character lai, you'll have a lesson that will cover those four characters and give you mnemonic suggestions. And so... This is actually something that I was hoping that people on who listen to the podcast might have some input about. We were thinking about just putting together maybe a uh, shared Google sheet where we list all our words and then anybody who goes to the sheet could put in their suggestions for what they have as mnemonic suggestions for two character words. So here's an example. Uh, we might say, okay, you just unlocked the character mun, which means plural. And that unlocks the word zhenmen, which means people. So you go, okay, zhen uh, sounds a little bit like a bird, a wren, like a songbird is a wren. And so you could imagine that there's all these people 
uh, gathered in a place where you've seen more people than you've ever seen before. Like I think one that stands out to me is is uh, maybe some either like like the the concerts that Freddie Mercury and Queen used to do in Brazil, where there would just be so many people. And you just imagine that all those people, uh, and they're all men because gen men, right? So they're all like men in suits, for example, and their heads are all. Uh, the songbird rent and then they're in this place where there's all these people and so that's an example of a quick mnemonic you could come up with to remember Zhenmen. and so we were thinking we could make this google sheet where people could just provide their potential connections to the characters the sound the definition uh or otherwise just come up with a way to connect to the words so if you're interested in participating in that and offering participating in that and offering your suggestions, your mnemonic suggestions, that would be very helpful to people in the future uh, who go through the course. So we'll be adding those types of levels. We'll be moving the uh, sentence-based language acquisition sections to the second half of each level. And this should make the process a bit um, smoother and just a little bit less um, bombarding you with information about a character word and that word in context. And the other thing too, is it kind of gives you a chance to switch your mode of learning. So you do your mode of learning that's based on the hands of movie method. And then you do a mode of learning that's more based on input and taking in sentences and things like that. So that can be very helpful. And then it kind of, it also gives you these very achievable, uh, sort of sprints. It's like my sprint is the first half of level 13 right now. And then my next sprint is the first is the second half of level 13, which will then let me change modes again and do the first half of level 14. And it, there's just sort of a, a sense of that, that can allow you to always see a change coming up. And sometimes when you don't feel like I'm going to be doing this forever, you instead feel like I'm going to be doing this for the, you know, foreseeable, uh, few days or something like that. And then I'm going to switch that can be a little bit helpful in terms of motivation and, uh, you know, not being too concerned about getting bored with what you're doing. Cause you'll at least change your mode every so often. And then of course, when you get to phase four and you get to phase five, you start to also have this mode of reading longer form texts and that can be uh, enjoyable as well. So, uh, that's the change that we're going to be making, uh, very soon. And that change is going to, uh, correspond with us changing the pricing structure of the course, which is actually, Luke probably mentioned that in the previous podcast. At the moment, we have a subscription model for the course. We will still offer a subscription, but it'll be a lot more expensive uh, because what we'd rather people do is um, just purchase each phase of the course piecemeal or purchase it in a bundle at a discount. So Instead of having a subscription that gives you access to everything, we'll say you can buy just phase one if you want. So just the first six levels of the course, or you can buy just phase two, or you could buy phases one and two as a package, or you could buy phases one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, or one, two, three, four, five in the intermediate course as a full package. The point is this model for selling the course is a little bit more practical for people because uh, one thing that you know can happen with a subscription model is that you're gaining momentum and then something else happens in life that makes you not have the same income you had before and you need to start saving. And then you go, well, I can't keep having this money coming out of my account each month from uh, Mandarin blueprint. So I have to stop. I don't really want to stop. Whereas if we do this model, whatever you buy, you have for life. So it's like, you know, or at least as long as Mandarin blueprint is a company. So you have it for, um, you know, that extended period of time. So if something changes financially for you, uh, you know, you can, 
make hay while the sun's shining and purchase it when you have uh, things going well. And then if things change, you know, there's a global pandemic or something that causes your financial situation to change, uh, you still have it and you don't have to risk losing it. And so that's something that we're going to be changing soon. So when we do that change, we'll also be doing this structural change. And also to the members of the foundation course, What's obviously going to be happening is the foundation course is going to become a legacy course uh, where only the people who previously had it will still have access to it. And new people will be getting access to like the phase one course and the phase two course and the phase three course. And so all of these will be separate courses. And when we do this change, we would encourage people on the foundation course to switch over to these new courses. And the reason for that is um, that we don't want to have are comments going in two different places for the same material because it's essentially the same material. So when we do this changeover, I'm going to turn off comments for the foundation course. And that will hopefully be a little bit of encouragement to move over to the new courses that are made of the same material. So it's essentially the same exact material, levels one through 36, except instead of being all in one big course, they're gonna be broken down into five courses. So the foundation course will now be phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, phase five. Okay, so those are the updates and let's get into the comments and emails. The first comment today comes from level 18 complete and it actually just came in this morning from Jonathan Glazier, and I figured I'd answer it because it's a direct response to something I said in uh, podcast 108 called Grinding versus Gear Shifting. And uh, he said, I really appreciate what Phil was saying in podcast 108, Grinding versus Gear Shifting. I have the sort of mind where I need to know things I don't get. So I do find myself referring to Plico probably too much when reviewing sentences. I was just looking at this sentence, which is, 我们结婚吧. 在中国，女人二十岁以上，男人二十二岁以上才可以结婚。那我们再等一年。So what he says here is, thanks to you guys, I did quote unquote get most of it. I was prompted to remember that ba is indicative of a suggestion, so 我们结婚吧 is let's get married, etc. All thanks to the Mandarin Blueprint methods, but I couldn't remember or reason what Tai was doing there in. Uh, the second sent the second person's phrase and he said so i did have to look it up i need i needed instant gratification i had my movie fixed firmly in my memory in that it was a keyword or concept of just now i needed to know how tie worked in in here of course it makes perfect sense only then can they get married but i just couldn't move on until I got that straight. Does this make me a grinder and should I just relax and shift gear? This always happens when there is a diversity in the meanings of characters. I just have to know there and then. Right, exactly. So this is the kind of reasoning that you have to do with yourself. I, I really appreciate this message from Jonathan because, uh, and we did a case study with Jonathan, if you'd like to check that out at some point, great guy. Um, and I just, um, I do, I empathize with this completely because uh, this is exactly how I am. I'm that type of person who wants to know why. And it's very hard sometimes to just go, I will know later. And, but I also know that it is true that you will know later. Like I have no doubt in my mind that if you keep reading and keep trying to understand how this, how this fits and you think about the concept, right? Uh, so here we have 在中国, so women above 20, 男人二十二岁以上. Men above 22, 
可以结婚, can get married, right? So, uh, and 可以 means allowed to. So what we're referring to here is a law, right? So in the, in the sense that when you're talking about marriage, of course, if they're saying, so basically, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but in China, I think in, a, in the West, it's usually 18, although I'm sure different countries in the West have different um, years. But certainly, I think in America, it's 18. Both men and women at 18 are legally allowed to get married. Uh, 10-year-olds can't get married. 18-year-olds can. Um, in China, it's a little bit older. So it's 20 for women and it's 22 for men, which is kind of interesting. Um, but the idea of tai here is the one of compared to jiu, that it's relatively late from the perspective of the speaker, uh, or only then, right? In this case, he, this is the way he's putting it. But the thing that you start to realize as you read Thai loads and loads and loads, because it's all over the place, all over the language, is that you just get a sense of it. You just get a feel for it. So the, to this person, the speaker B, their, their feeling is that, uh, 22 is a bit late and 20 for 20 for women and 22 for men is a bit late to be able to get married. Uh, it's not necessary for the sentence. The sentence perfectly makes sense without tie. It's not a grammatically necessary uh, particle, but it is something that uh, allows you to express your opinion within the language. So you can use tie to indicate that you think it's kind of late and then, or just to say only then can you get married after you've met these conditions. So that's another idea of it is is and you can leave out the drill but like it's saying only after this condition is met tie do the condition uh the you know um do whatever it is that is conditional the conditional thing and so all of that is so much thinking around it whereas if you just see tie loads and loads you start to just get a feeling for it and it's so frustrating, especially if you're academically minded, if you did well in school and you think of it as like an academic subject, you're like, I want to get to the bottom of it. And the answer, the fact is that you're not only trying to get to the bottom of Thai, you're trying to get to the bottom of almost everything that's happening in the language. And so your best course of action is to just constantly barrage yourself with new input and sometimes you're going to go, I don't exactly get how that works, but I will later. So keep getting more input because that thing that you didn't totally understand was just one of the many things happening in the sentence, right? It's not uh, the only thing that was happening in the sentence. And it's also one of almost infinite things that you want to get to the bottom of, right? So I'm not saying that it's wrong to spend time trying to get to the bottom of any of these particular uh, topics. I, I, I don't, it's not wrong per se. It's, there's just an opportunity cost to it. And the opportunity cost is all that input you would have gotten if you didn't stop. And so all that input you would have gotten if you didn't stop guaranteed in there somewhere are some light bulbs on other concepts. So there's one concept, how to use tie in a sentence to indicate only then, or that a condition only after this condition is met, can you do some action? Um, and or to indicate that from the perspective of the speaker, it's late, which is kind of both in this sentence. Uh, well, that's one concept that you want to learn. But there's loads of other concepts just within this uh, in this particular sentence. You've got nüren arşır suy yişang. Okay, well that's an example of how in, in English we'd say. Uh, 
uh, women above 20, but in Chinese you say 20 age above, right? And so that, that's an example of where you just kind of got that. That wasn't the thing that held you up. So that was a thing that you understood and solidified a little bit more. And so um, that was important. Uh, well, what about that? That's uh, an example of solidifying dung continue right so die means again but can also mean continue in that way like so now woman and maybe you didn't know exactly how to use die that way but you you saw it and you understood it right so all of these concepts it's you know yeah if you really were to break it down you can probably find out okay this one's a bit more frequent than that concept but you start to get really into the weeds because there's endless possible grammatical concepts that you could want to uh, figure out and breaking them all down instantly is only gonna slow you down from having these light bulbs go off, right? And the other thing too about it is that tie comes up so much that the question is, if I don't figure this out now, will I have more opportunities to figure it out later? And the answer is resoundingly yes. In fact, you're gonna get so many opportunities to figure it out later that you can just relax about it and just know that it's gonna come. It's going to come. And I know that that can be frustrating sometimes because you just want to know now and you want that instant gratification of understanding. But who's to say you aren't going to get some instant gratification of understanding if you just kept reading in some other concept? And why is Thai as a concept more important than whatever light bulb you were going to have if you just kept reading? Um, and the answer is there. there is no reason why it's more important. It's just kind of the curiosity in that moment is really pulling you in. And hey, that's fine. Like, I really don't want to say never look things up because that is you know not helpful. But I would say that it's just one of those things where uh, you just have to know what the opportunity cost is and recognize that you're going to have more opportunities to take in this knowledge. So thanks to Jonathan for that. And I was glad to have a chance to sort of um, rehash that again, because it's such an important concept. Next, we have an email from Katrin Smith. She says, hey, Phil, thanks again for your quick response and answering all my questions. Very helpful as usual. It's always so encouraging to know that you and Luke are just an email away from answering any question. It's an awesome part of the overall Mandarin Blueprint package. Yeah, we're happy to, obviously. While the Henza movie method is not working for me, I do continue to use the props to help me construct and remember my characters. If I recall, Katrin was... Um, Perhaps she uh, suffers from visual aphantasia, where it's difficult to imagine things in her mind's eye. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, um, but we'll continue from, from here. Each character has a summary page, which used to have actors, sets, and scenes, but now I use that space to record additional meanings for that character, if applicable, as well as additional vocabulary with that character. This, along with a photo of how the character is written in steps, is perfect one-page review for me of each character. Unfortunately, I have to memorize the tone since I don't have a set location to cue me. But this is how I've had to adapt, and so far, so good. I read your article on how to immerse yourself, and I'm doing my best to immerse. My iPad has been switched to Chinese as my main language. Good for you. I listen to at least two hours of Mandarin TV a day. Nice. And I also listen to contemporary Mandarin music. I pick up the local Chinese newspaper, but still can only read every sixth or seventh character. I'm not confident enough yet to wander into our local Chinatown, but once I get to 1,000 characters, that is my goal. Anyway, Oh, she said I'm rambling on. It's not rambling. Katrin. So I would say that it's interesting that you say that the Henza movie method is not working for you, uh, but then you immediately say, uh, 
I do continue to use the props to help me construct and remember my characters, so it's working for you at least partially. Remember, it's compared to rote learning, because that's the only other sort of standard mainstream way of learning is just to write over and over again. So I wouldn't exactly say that it's not working for you at all, but uh, it sounds like you might have some trouble visualizing uh, sets, like the locations. And so I get that it's kind of, it doesn't work entirely, but hey, it works a bit. And that's, uh, that's certainly something. And what I like about this is that, you know, while it is true that you need to learn characters and, and they're hugely helpful in helping you acquire the language, there are still always things that you can do to acquire the language that involve things like immersion and things like making sure that you are focused on your environment. Your environment can always be improved in almost every situation, you know. Um, and so if you can have Chinese playing, if you can watch Chinese intently, if you can listen to Chinese music. All of these things will help you and, and maybe even help you more. It's just that they're very eclectic. So they're not something that is as systemized and kind of do this, then do that as the Mandarin Blueprint method is. But I would say that they're equally necessary, if not more important. So this is a, a kind of a good reminder that even if you can't do things on Mandarin Blueprint that are as, shall we say, like systemized and... Uh, objective, that doesn't mean that you can't still be doing things that are definitely going to help you become fluent and literate. So, uh, well done to Katrin. Next, we have Merrick by email. He says, hello, gentlemen. Thanks for the opportunity for giving feedback. Firstly, thanks for a world-class learning experience. I've tried learning Chinese using a few methods, all of which I did not complete. Mandarin Blueprint is the first method that I am eager to continue, and therefore my motivation is intrinsic. So enjoyable. Pronunciation is so important, and your short but informative videos are just what I need to get the pronunciation just right. I'm managing it okay, getting better each day. Anki is just great. I teach mind mapping in China, and review is a big part of one of my sessions. The review is as important and as learning something new. Anki is on another level. Providing one is honest with the assessment of how hard or easy it was, it sets you up for success. I am loving it, I do my Anki every day. It's really helping. First of all, just as a tangent before I finish reading this, good. Like, it's so important. I completely agree. You do need to learn, but the review is equally as important. And sometimes, because sometimes people skip that step with Anki. They just go, uh, let me just use Anki to learn. And that's a little bit, that's going too far the other way. But still, it's so important. And the fact that you do it every day, that's the key. Anki every day. Anki every day. Hey, are you not doing Anki every day? You should be doing your Anki every day. I am not sure whether I should be learning the Chinese characters at this point. Should I be learning to write them, recognize them, or just wait to learn another time? I think I lost the memo on that one. Is it possible to reset each deck to start again? I would love to go over everything again, especially when I travel and have loads of time on my hands. Overall, five stars out of five. I believe you are both on the right track. And the pricing is also okay. I was sticking with it. I look forward to getting back to China and practicing with my very patient hosts. Regards, Merrick. So he has a few questions here. So the first is, I'm not sure whether I should be learning Chinese characters at this point. Well, you know, if you want to be like kind of just do this, then that, then finish the pronunciation mastery before you start learning characters. That's reasonable enough. Fine. Uh, but I would say that you can start learning uh, the character learning if you have a basic understanding of how pinyin works and pinyin is not the hard part of chinese like pinyin is you can learn pinyin fairly quickly um pronunciation mastery spends a good amount of time talking about how to uh 
sort of articulate pinyin, but understanding the basics of how it works and how initials, finals, and tones work, I think can be done in unit one. By the end of the unit one of pronunciation mastery, you at least understand the basic structure of how the pinyin chart works and like, you know, how you combine sounds. Now you don't necessarily know how to pronounce them all until you finish pronunciation mastery. But my point is just that, uh, you know, your ability to, uh, your, your ability to learn the characters is possible after unit one. Now, Learn Chinese characters as soon as is reasonable, which to me is at very minimum, start learning them after pronunciation mastery and maybe even earlier than that. So Chinese characters make the language so much easier if you understand them. And if you learn enough of them, then your ability to acquire, it's like, it's about your ability to, to acquire. Other languages don't have this step, so they don't have this, you know, sort of obstacle to your ability to acquire. But... You know, take, for example, if I know characters, then I can look at the back of, say, my bottle of Tabasco sauce and learn things like how they express uh, carbohydrates or, or um, you know, protein or ingredients. Like, you know, how do, how do we express uh, cayenne pepper? Oh, it's a, you know, hong la jiao, right? It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Red, spicy uh, pepper, right? Sure, fine. Um, that ability to just look at something and then figure it out that way only can be possible if you learned the characters. So don't skip learning characters. And, you know, as long as you follow the Mandarin blooper method, you won't do that because we definitely encourage you to do that. And then uh, what was the next question? Is it possible to reset, reset each deck to start again? Sure, you could just delete the deck and reopen the deck and that would start, start it again. But I would not recommend doing that um, because the research behind how Anki works is such that it's meant to show you the fact as many times as you need before it becomes mature and in your long-term memory. So what that means is that if you don't understand something, just hit wrong and it resets that way. I wouldn't reset the whole deck because then you're just, what about all those? That what, what resetting the whole deck does is it turns Anki into dumb flashcards, not smart flashcards. So... If you have a bunch of paper flashcards, the problem with having a bunch of paper flashcards is that every single flashcard is of equal value, but they're not all of equal value because some facts are easier to acquire than others. So what you should be seeing is the harder facts more often and the easier facts less often. And that's exactly what Anki does automatically through its uh, spaced repetition algorithm. And so if you were to reset the entire deck, you're basically just turning them all into dumb flashcards again and saying all of these are now equal again. All of these facts are equal. And the way Anki delineates which facts are more important than others is based on how often you get them right, how easy it is for you to get them right. And if you get something wrong, it resets that individual fact, not the entire deck. So I wouldn't recommend resetting a whole deck. I just recommend uh, being honest when you get something wrong, which you already sort of alluded to in your uh, email. And then it says, uh, let's see here, what's the next question? Uh, okay, looks like that was the only question. So thanks again for the um, review, Merrick, and uh, we're more than happy to help, and I hope that uh, this uh, response finds you well. Next, we have Peter Hurd by email. He says, hi, Luke and Phil. I've always wanted to learn a new language. 
I had heard that if you master one language, learning another after that would be easier again. So I chose Chinese to be another language being it was the second hardest next to English. Do the hardest first, the easier will be even easier. I agree with that. That, that, that My analogy for that was always um, when I used to work in a guitar shop. Uh, I would sell guitars. I'm not a guitar player myself, but the guy I worked with was. And he explained to me, he said, you know, when you're starting there's two philosophies. One is start on an acoustic guitar because it's harder to play. And that way, when you switch to an electric guitar, uh, it'll be very easy to play because it's just easier to hold the strings down. Right. And, uh, he said, but the other philosophy is start with electric guitar so that you don't get discouraged and quit too early because it's, you know, it's obviously it's harder to play acoustic guitar. And I thought that was very interesting because, um, you know, my instinct is like yours, Peter, I would say, all right, well, let me let me start with acoustic then, because I'd rather get good at the harder thing and then move to the easier thing later. So, you know, that's a that's a good sort of point you've made there. Okay, continuing, he says a Chinese friend from church was starting a study group to learn Chinese. So I thought I would join up. It wasn't long before I realized that I would never master this language, let alone another, but I decided to persevere anyway. The group kept getting smaller and smaller until it finally disbanded after a couple of months. But then I was fully captivated in the language and culture. So I decided to keep going with the textbook he had given us to, uh, to use. I started finding courses and podcasts online and sporadically studied for the next 20 plus years. As a ballroom dance teacher, I have had plenty of Chinese students to correct me along the way. <laughs> nice. It's only now that I have started to, on your course that I realize where and how they were trying to help me. Most of the Chinese people I deal with come from southern China and didn't have Beijing accents, and that made it even more difficult. I'm definitely not allowed to use the R ending, i.e. it's Nali, not nar. <laughs> During lockdown in Melbourne, I started exploring podcasts again and happened upon your course and then looked further into it. After watching the first few videos, I signed up to a subscription thinking I'd found the best way to acquire this language. Now that I'm through level five, I can definitely say this is the best way. I can even see me mastering Chinese in the not too distant future. Thank you to both of you for putting this time and effort into making this course. And because I never liked studying or school, thanks for making it so much fun. I look forward to seeing my Chinese students after lockdown and receiving praise for my improved accent. They may even forgive me for having a northern accent because it would be more correct. Like a Chinese person with an English accent would not be corrected in Australia like they would if they had a strong Chinese accent. Once again, Peter J. Hurd. Well, that is a cool email to receive, mostly because I think it... it shows one of the very common uh conceptions that we have about chinese we say you know what he said here was uh i it wasn't long before i realized that i would never master this language let alone another but i decided to persevere anyway when you're using the wrong methods to learn outputting too early uh do, learning things too top down um you know treating chinese as if it's an academic subject then it can certainly feel like that. It can certainly feel like, oh, of course, I'm never going to succeed with this. But when you use the right method, then, of course, you feel like you're going to be successful. And that's clearly what happened when he started using Mandarin Blueprint. So this is such a great email to receive because that's exactly our goal. We're exactly trying to get you to feel like, hey, this might have seemed hard to you before, but it's not anymore. So uh, thanks so much, Peter. That's a, It's just great to hear your story. Next, we have Jared Cox in the community forum. 
Hey guys, I didn't know where to leave this, but I am curious, Phil and Luke, why you didn't do a W for an actor. I was doing Wong and I thought it would have been great to have a W actor versus the imaginary uh, WU actor as a groundskeeper, Willie from The Simpsons. Maybe I'm missing it. I taught English in Taiwan and mainland China. Now I'm hoping to get back to Taiwan, Shanghai, Jining, or Shenzhen. I took Pimsler and Rosetta Stone, but this program is incredible. I've been trying to do Fluent Forever, but this program puts it all together. Thank you for the effort that has allowed so many of us to unlock the Orient. Thanks, Jared. So, yeah, so this is a technical question about the Henza movie method, and it's actually a simple answer. Um, w is not actually representative of sound. It is just a pinyin spelling. Uh, I wouldn't exactly call it an oddity. There's a reason for it. The W in pinyin that you either put before the U, if it's just U, there's a, there's a pronunciation in pinyin, Ooh, ooh, the, which is represented by the letter U, and it's one of the simple finals. But when it is by itself, you put a W in front of it, and when the U starts a syllable, but uh, and then has f more syllables uh, after it, then the W replaces the U. For example, way U E I becomes W E I. So W is not actually pronounced; it is merely a placeholder for U. Now, why do you put it in front of the U when it's by itself? Because you by itself, when you're reading a pinyin sentence, uh, it does it, it makes it hard to differentiate between the different syllables. Whereas if you put a W in front of it, you can see the border between the syllables really easily. Um, and then, uh, so that's why they do that. It's just a matter of making it easier to read. And since it is not actually representative of any particular sound, then we do not give it a real person actor. We give it a, uh, a fictional actor because the entire category is all fictional actors so uh hopefully that uh, clears that up like compare that to for example the letter g so if we have uh ga g a ganga or g a n that's the word for embarrassed ganga so uh both of those have g at the beginning and followed by a final so that would be a male actor a real person starting with the letter g and so that's fine you could do that um but when you talk about W, it's not actually representative sound, whereas G is. So that's your comparison there. Next, Nick Sims on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Mei Guanxi. Amazing. I've been saying this to my tutor, but didn't truly understand the characters. And now I know the characters and it just clicks. So yeah, Mei Guanxi means oh, it doesn't matter. No big deal. Right. And so it's the kind of thing that you'll learn top down pretty early. You know, um, oh, I'm late. Mei Guanxi. Right. And uh, so it's one of those things that you don't necessarily learn bottom up by learning the characters first, the character components and how they relate to each other. But then when you do learn them bottom up, after having learned it top down, they meet and you go, wow, this all makes sense. And that, that is true that that can feel very clicky uh, in that when that happens. By the way, we did a, a case study with Nick that hopefully I'll get out soon. I just we've been so swamped with stuff uh, lately, but I'll I'll finish editing it and get it up. Uh, soon. It, he's a great guy. Next, Rick Santos on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Xia Ban. Ah, I just realized that the edits I made to the podcast page yesterday didn't save, but he was um, asking a question about a sentence, which is, could Cai be given, giving a meaning that each day, only when it is very late at night, does he get off work? And what the sentence was, was something like, um, 我每天 Ba Dian Tai Xia Ban. 
And so the tie is indicating that from the speaker's perspective, this is kind of late, right? So, or only when this condition is met, time has reached eight o'clock, I can get off work. So the tie is indicating, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the uh, sense from the speaker that this is a late um, time. And sure, you know, most people get off work around five or six, so he gets off work at eight. So he adds in tie before the verb of xiaban, which means to get off work. So yeah, that's basically, it, it, it doesn't indicate that it is objectively very late. It indicates that from the speaker's perspective, it's late. So uh, yeah, that's the answer to that for Rick. Another one from Rick. We actually got a bunch of ones from Rick uh, this week. So I'll be sure to, uh, you know, go through these and, and he's, uh, he's been leaving lots of comments lately, which is great. So he adds, there's another one on Japan, which means, um, to work overtime. So you're adding fun, which is like your work time or your team time. If Chang also means long, can it also be meant that the hours of working over time are getting longer and longer? Yeah, so 越来越 is a word that means more and more. So 越来越 what, more and more what, 长, long. And so, yes, 长 can mean literally long as in like my pants are long, but it can also mean time is long. So that's, you know, it's just an abstract versus a literal uh, meaning of that particular word. Next, we have Jason Pan on It's a Word for Yao. Up to this point, I've always been curious what the difference between Yao and Hui are for the purpose to express happening in the future. I believe both have the meaning of will slash going to, but uh, Yao also means to want, and Hui also means to understand slash know. Pleco says that Hui is be likely to, be sure to. So does this mean that Hui is used in situations that are more certain with an intention attached and Yao is more general purpose, future looking. It's actually the opposite, Jason. So uh, Hui is a bit more like, as Pleco says, be likely to, which sort of leaves a little bit of, uh, you know, doubt, just a little bit of doubt. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll do that, but maybe you know, I'm likely to do that, but there's still some degree of maybe I won't. But Yao is a bit more, you know, certain. If you say, well, Yao go lie. I, I will come over, right? It's like, I'm going, I'm going to do it, right? And so uh, Yao is a bit more certain than Hui. And so Hui either is meant to be, like, say you're asking a question to somebody, you're saying, will you come over tomorrow? You might use Hui to be a little bit more polite, right? Uh, just because you don't want to be like, you'll certainly come over tomorrow, right? But it, these are subtle differences. And for the most part, you'll get it as you continue to input. But yeah, Hui is a little bit less intense than Yao. Uh, Jason Pan on it's a word for low. 我不住这栋楼,我住西边的那栋楼. Why is there no zai preceding zhu? Uh, well, actually, you'd usually say zhu zai, not zai zhu. Uh, because zhu is a movement or location-based verb, which we talk about this in our article and, and lessons on zai. Zhu uh, is a location-based word, so if you were going to use zai, it would actually be after zhu. Zhu zai. Chengdu. I, 我住在成都, I live in Chengdu. Why is there no zai preceding zhu consistent with what we've seen thus far? So, yeah, this is a question that, um, you know, I, I, it's a similar to Jonathan Glazer's question at the beginning. 
the, the there's a there's a need there's a desire to understand why but really what you should take from this sentence is oh i can do this i don't have to include zai sometimes right so 我不住这栋楼。我不住这栋楼. i don't live in this building I, li I live in the building to the west right and you're probably in an apartment complex here and you're talking about i don't live in this building i live in the western building um and, you know, you could say, 我不住在这栋楼。我住在西边的那栋楼. But when it comes to some words, like any language, sometimes you will leave out certain things if the context is obvious. We always want to be efficient with our language. If you can say the same thing in fewer words or fewer characters, and there's no chance that they're going to think you mean something else, then do it, right? Then you're more efficient, and you're <laughs> unlike me when I'm talking in the podcast. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Like, if you can see that they, they can, you can say this, 我不住这栋楼, and you can omit 在, then your reaction to that should just be like, sweet, I, can, I could, don't have to say 在 there if I'm talking about what building I live in. And uh, really the best response to that is just to say, okay, I can do that, move on, right? And uh, I do understand why you're wanting to know why it's not the same, but the answer to why it's not the same is really that in language you can say the same thing many different ways. And so it's not so much that there's only one way to say it and why, is it, why isn't it that one way here? It's just that, oh, you can also say it this way. Like, that's what you should take from it. Just go, oh, I can also say it without die if I'm talking about, like, what building I live in. And once you've done that, just move on, you know. Um, I don't know exactly what the moment was in the evolution of the language that they stopped saying die or that they started saying die or, like, you know, because who knows? I don't think anybody knows that. Maybe somebody figured that out in their etymological study of Chinese. But it's irrelevant to your ability to acquire the language. So I know that's an annoying answer. And I'm sorry, Jason, I don't mean to be like suggesting that your question is not a good question. I'm just saying that really your response to these things is just be like, oh, I can say it that way too. Great. Move on. Um, cool. William Beeman on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Chulai. Ni chulalama. Is ma a misprint? Should it be ma? Uh, no, it's not a misprint. You can say ma. Uh, it's very spoken. Ni chulalama. Chulalama. It's just sort of a thing that developed when People were speaking quickly, and m comes out a little bit easier than ma does. So, you know, it's sort of lazy. Right? So kind of got that sense of it. So, no, it's not a misprint. You can use m at the end, and it's the exact same meaning as ma, and just a bit more spoken. You would definitely not see that in a formal written context, but you might see it in, like, a comic book when they're trying to show people talking or in a novel when you have two characters talking. I, it definitely strikes me as a very chilled out way to say it. Rick Santos on it's a word for which means class. Just for the sake of using would it be correct to also say Right. So, uh, shang means to, uh, to begin to like something. So, uh, ai shang means to fall in love. So, shang is similar in the sense that it's indicating the, the process of coming to like something in the same way that you say we fall in love. We don't say fall in like, but it's 
the same general meaning. You know, I I fell in love with her. Uh, I I like like her. <laughs> you know, that's like that thing that we say in middle school. Do you I like her? No, I mean I like like her, right? Like romantically. And you could say when it comes to things like a class. There's nothing wrong with this uh, word. It's a little bit. Um, it, just be aware that what you're saying in this sentence is, I have begun to like Chinese classes in general, which is not generally what you would say if you were gonna set if you were gonna use xiuhan shang. Xiuhan shang tends to be a bit more specific than that. Like I begin to like Chinese classes as a concept. No, you'd probably say, 我喜欢上 men is the uh, measure word for uh, courses, not classes. If you were talking about an individual time that you went to class, that's jie, because that jie refers to a, a like kind of a, a time-based measure word. So is like that 45 minutes where I went into the classroom. That's But the entire course is and so, 我喜欢上这门中文课. So you go to an ancient Chinese class and you think you're not going to like it because it's ancient Chinese. And then you realize, oh, I do like it now. 我喜欢上这门古代汉语课. <laughs> uh, that's uh, ancient Chinese. So just that's what you would say there. It's per There's nothing wrong with the sentence that you wrote grammatically. The sentence you wrote grammatically is fine. Just be aware that what it's saying is, I have begun to like all Chinese courses. So uh, I think it's a little bit better to be more specific. Next, we have a question from Nacho on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Nin Gui Xiong. I'm a bit curious about this sentence. Do you know why it used expensive and surname together? So expensive Gui and surname Xiong together. So first of all, let's establish that when you say Nin Gui Xiong, this is very formal. It's the most polite way to ask somebody their name. And there's many situations where you might want to do this. Perhaps you're at uh, an event and, you know, everybody's dressed up nicely and you meet somebody who's clearly a high society person and you say, Nin gui xing. or you're at the visa office and you want to ingratiate yourself to the visa worker officials. And so somebody is there and you say, Nin gui xing. it's just a way of being very polite in asking somebody their full name, their, their uh, last name and first name. And so when we think about things that are formal, we think about, uh, a lot. There's a lot more ancient Chinese that is built into formal Chinese. So, gui in ancient Chinese doesn't exactly mean expensive. It kind of means, although it does tangentially mean of great value. So there's a bit of a connection to expensive there. So your name is of great value. Um, but uh, gui means kind of like it's a possessive for meaning your or his or or it's whatever, but it, ha it implies some level of value and respect. So, for example, in contracts, you'll often see a gui gongsi, as in this company or your company or whatever, and it's very respectful. It's like a kind of a way of saying there's a possession here and it's respectful and of great value, which is what expensive means. So, you know, it's kind of expensive. In modern Chinese, gui tends to be used as literally lot of money, right? It's a, this is a very expensive thing. But you might say bao gui, which is a word that just means of great value to me. Uh, like bao bao is the character you use for baby, 
little treasure, double treasure. Um, so bao gui means very of great value. And then gui by itself means expensive as in monetary value. But in this case, it's just a sort of an ancient Chinese way of expressing that your name, your gui xing, is it's yours and it's of great value. And I'm asking about it, ning gui xing. So uh, that's kind of the roots of that. It's more ancient Chinese based. It's very formal. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't really say this to somebody if you were in a more casual setting. So, like, for example, uh, you could say, ni jiao shen me ming zi. Uh, that just means what is your name and that's actually a little bit less common and a little bit more like sort of foreigners learning chinese way of saying it uh the even more common way to say it is in a casual context is what's a machonghuni what's a machonghuni because the chonghu is uh is to call to name something address something right so how should i address you it's a good way it's a good thing to say to like uh Say you're meeting like a, a mother-in-law. <laughs> you might be polite to say, "我应该, I should, 怎么好称呼, "称呼." Sorry, so first, fifth, 称呼你, 称呼你, right? So, uh, address you. How should or I should how address you in the literal grammar? So, that's, this is all just to say that these are different ways of asking somebody their name and. Uh, Nin gui xing is by far the most formal, and therefore it uses an ancient version of gui, which uh, is more of a possessive of great value. Rick Santos on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Bian De. Comparing sentence number three of this lesson just before, 最近几年,中国的变化很大. Can Bian De be used instead of Bian Hua? And back to this current lesson, can Bian Hua be used instead of Bian De? In 希望中国变得更美好. For me, it seems that the first sentence, bianda may be used, but in the second sentence, bianhua might not be specific enough, while bianda seems to say that change is internally generated. So there are a few words to consider here. There's another word I want to introduce into this conversation, which is biancheng. Biancheng. So we have bianda, biancheng, and bianhua. So bianhua is a noun. It is the change that has happened. The change of China. I mean, like, obviously change is a process, but when you use bianhua, you're referring to a specific change. Uh, so, like, that's the first sentence, right? Uh, yeah. So that is a... The change of China. It is a noun. So you cannot use bianda um, in that sentence because bianda is not a noun at all. Bianda is only a verb. Biancheng is also a verb, but the difference is that bianda and biancheng, bianda is followed by a an adjective, a description. So, for example, 希望中国变得更美好. I hope China becomes bianda even more beautiful. So, 更美好 or 变得美好, right? So, 变得更美好 indicates that it's currently pretty 美好, but uh, it could be better. It could be even more 美好. So, uh, if it just said, 希望中国变得美好, that would sort of imply that it's not Mayhal, very nice and wonderful, uh, currently, and I hope it changes to that description. So, bianda is changed to this description, because it's a verb phrase, bian means change, du, is the um, indication, uh, it's when you connect a verb to an adjective to say how the verb happened, so, bianda美好, so, the change, bianda, well, what about the change? 变得坏. 
becomes bad or becomes beautiful and nice, right? So uh, it's in, in, in one way you could say that bianda isn't really a word, bian is a word, and then du is the connection between a verb and an adjective to show how the verb happened. So that's fine too. Now bian cheng is followed by a noun. So unlike bianda, which is followed by a, an adjective, bian cheng is change turn into cheng. So, um, uh, 他要变成一位老师他要变成一位老师 become a teacher change into teacher right so 变 is the verb 成 is the uh, sort of result and then 成 what what did you become you became a teacher 变成老师 right so that's a way of uh, comparing 变化 noun it in, of itself is a noun 变的 is a verb phrase Bian comes first, followed by de, followed by how. So that's a description. So it's got, got it's an adjective of some sort. Uh, and then follow, and then bian cheng is followed by a noun. So become, turn, change into a noun. So those three should uh, help you delineate between them. Rick Santos on it's a word for hua. In the third sentence, I realized that yue hui is an activity of two persons. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it usually is. That is why he is used. The boy and the girl dated. In English, the dater is the subject and the dated is the object. For example, he dated her. I found this out when I was writing a short sentence in Chinese. Ta yue hui ta. That's not actually correct, but he says perhaps ta he ta yi qi qu yue hui is okay. Yes, uh, the second sentence would be fine because yue hui is the date itself. It's the uh, meeting. So it's a noun. It's a they're going to, you know, they it could say to New York. They went to New York or they went to the date. So is not a verb in that way. is a verb. So in the case, in the word, the key word is the third meaning of is meeting of some sort. What kind of a meeting is it? It's the kind that you made an appointment, which is a verb. You made an appointment to have. So, so to make an appointment to have a meeting used to be just anything. But then as language evolved and as our cultural traditions evolved, it became a romantic date. Right. And then the same thing happened in English as happened in Chinese. It's just sort of like, uh, you know, so when you say by itself, that's a verb. So instead of saying you need to take the hui away because that's like saying uh, I New York her, right? It's like, it's just a place or a noun. A, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that's happening, right? Then what you say is ta yue ta, yue ta. just keep yue by itself. And then ta yue la, ta. that's also fine. He, he made an appointment with her. Um, 你去约他吃饭. Go make an appointment to eat with her or go make a plan to eat with her as a date. Right. Either way, it depends on the context. But the point is, yue is the verb, yue hui is the noun. So uh, that will help clear that up. You wouldn't say uh, yue hui in any kind of verb sense. Okay. Next, we have Rick Santos on it's a word for quan. In the past lesson sentence, chi yao dou mei yong, and in the above, ni de jie shi shi mei you yong de, is the yo de optional without changing the meaning. Well, first of all, it's the shi. The construction that's going on here. 你的解释, 
是没有用的 ，right? So in this case, uh, you the difference between 你的解释 your explanation 是没有用的 is it when you say 是没有用的 you're emphasizing the detail that it didn't have use. 没有用的 it was not it was useless, and because you're saying 是的 it's almost definitely in the past. So it's 你的解释是没有用的 So maybe you tried to give an explanation. You were hoping it would be useful, but 是没有用的 It didn't. It was useless. If you just say 你的解释没用 right, or 没有用 that isn't necessarily saying it was specifically in this moment in that detail useless. It's just saying your explanation is useless, and it might not be referring to any specific moment. It's just saying it's kind of mean. <laughs> your explanation is useless. So.、Um, That's the distinction that's being made there. Next, we have Jason Pon on new vocabulary unlocked for 对不起以前 When I was attempting to translate the sentence for the first time, I was thinking of 以前 with the meaning of before action is done. But then I saw the translation that it means before in the past this has been done. Is 以前 used as well to mean before action is done? For example, before I go, I want to say bye. Or is there another word for that? Well, yeah,、uh, you can use it in both way, in both ways. So,、um, 以前 it tends to be where it is in the sentence, right? So if I say 以前这里是个市场 right? So before this was a market, right?、Uh, and now it's a apartment complex or something, right? Or whatever it is.、Uh, but if I say 我离开以前我要给他打个招呼 Uh, so before I leave, 我离开 I leave 以前 before. So in Chinese, you put 以前 at the end of the phrase. 我离开 I leave 以前 before. So 我离开以前要去给他打个招呼 I want to go give him a、uh, say hello to him or give him a just just say hi, right? Now,、um, that's. An example where you would use it to mean before the action, so、uh, before I leave, Kai, or you could say the same thing with Iho. So, and and Iho works in the exact same way. So, Iho, 这个地方会变成一个小区 That's an example of using 变成 there for、uh, re referencing back to the previous part. But Iho in the future, 这个地方会变成一个小区 Uh, so th this place will become a apartment complex, an apartment complex,、uh, and or 我离开以后要去奶奶的家 After I leave, I'm going to go to grandma's house, right? So that's、uh, an example of how you can use both 以前 and 以后 to mean either the past. Usually, you put it earlier in the sentence if it means the past, or the future earlier in the sentence if it means the future, or Before this action, in which case you put it at the end of the phrase, or after this action, in which case you put it at the end of this phrase. So hopefully that clears that up. And there's also、uh, 之前 and 之后 They're also very common to say, and、uh, sometimes you can just say 前 or 后 They're also okay too. 我离开后要去奶奶的家 That's fine too. 我离离开之后我离开之前我离开前 All fine. Matt Schubert on new vocabulary unlocked for EBN. I'm struggling with the last sentence and how both uses of EBN are changing the meaning. How is the example? 
我一边在学校学习，一边在公司工作。Different from the same sentence with 一边 removed. 我在学校学习，我在公司工作。Is it to just to put an emphasis on the fact that you're in school while also working at a job? Yes. There you go. You got it. So 我一边在学学校学习，一边在公司工作。Right. And so. It's just indicating that both of those things are happening at the same time. Now, the time scale for this particular sentence is kind of large. It's like, at this time in my life, I'm working and uh, and studying at the same time. But um, the the time scale is kind of big because it's not saying literally I am working and studying at the same time, like in this present moment. It's kind of a larger, larger time scale, but you can use it to mean I'm doing the same thing in the present moment. Like, 我一边站着，一边录播课。I'm standing and recording a podcast. Just happens to be what I'm doing right now, so it's easy to to say. So, like, you're saying literally both of these things are happening at the same moment. On one side, I'm doing this. Another another side, I'm doing this. One side is this. One side is that. And so、uh, that's what it means with the two 一边 s. You'll see that a lot. So、uh, look for that moving forward. Jeff Johnson on new vocabulary unlocked for Arzi Rizi Shalzi. So I have Ozzy as my Z actor and Momo from Avatar as my indicator for fifth tone. So anytime Z is used to indicate a noun, they are in the next room looking in. Ozzy points to the thing and tells Momo that is a noun. Interesting. So this is obviously a, a bit of an expansion on the Hanza movie method because Hanza movie method are for individual Hanza, not words. But Arz that is an example of Having its full tone and actually meaning sun, but rzi and shalzi, they're an example of z as a suffix, which is just a noun creator. So shal、uh, is is、um, well, it already means spoon, but if it's just the general word for spoon, it's shalzi. And as soon as you make it something that's like、uh, more specific, like for example, tang means soup. So if you say Tang shao, that's soup spoon. You would not say tang shaozi. You'd leave out the zi as soon as you get more specific by saying tang shao. That's a soup spoon. But when you want to say spoons in general, shaozi, right? And so what he's doing here is he's saying, okay, his Z actor and Momo from Avatar as indicator for fifth tone. So fine, yeah, that's that, that's cool. It's it's an interesting little、uh, addition to things to remind yourself that okay, for this character. It's a fifth tone as a second character, and、uh, as we've talked about before, when you have two character words, sometimes the second character is fifth tone. Sometimes it's obvious. For example, with z, right? Like z is often a fifth tone. It's more often a fifth tone than it is a third tone because、uh, it's only a third tone when it actually means sun, whereas it's a fifth tone when it's a suffix, uh, uh, meaning it's a, a noun creating suffix. But sometimes it's like, why is it? Like for example, mean by, mean by. Is the word for understand?、Uh, why isn't it mean by? Mean by? No, it's mean by.、Uh, the second character is a fifth tone. Why? I don't know. It's like there's not always a definite reason. So having something in your mind's eye, a mnemonic to remember. Okay, this is one of those words. It's a fifth tone、uh, that where the second character changes to a fifth tone. Then you should, you know, that's not a bad way to figure that out. So well done, Jeff. I like it. Rick Santos on new vocabulary unlocked for Mei Xiang Dao, following the lead of Ting Bu Dao, which would mean、uh, unable to hear, right? So, 我听不到你的声音
you're speaking so softly, 我听不到. So the act of listening, 听, does, cannot achieve the result of arrival or success. Because, you know, 听得到 would mean I can hear you. 听得到, I'm able to hear you, right? Uh, and now, now I might say, 我听得到,但是我听不懂. Right, so that's an example. 听听得到 means I'm able to hear you. 但是, but 我听不懂. I can't listen and understand. I can't listen with the result of understanding. Now, that would be kind of ridiculous to say. I'm speaking Chinese to you to explain to you how I can't understand Chinese. But, you know, you get what I'm saying. So, just conceptually, that's how that would work. I just, so, continuing. I just thought that 没想到 could also describe someone's level of thinking that is so limited that made it impossible to reach the desired behavior or never arrive at such a result. For example, a very self-centered, contagiously sick person that his going home prematurely would infect his whole family. Is this correct? And instead using could 他想不到 be used in my example sentence? Sorry for this question, but I was just thinking some results might never be reached or arrived at. I'm appreciating how the Chinese language with these verbs and results uh, the, how the Chinese language makes these verbs and results uh, very clear. All right, so 没想到 has no implication about a person's ability. It is just a statement of fact. It's just a statement that they did not think of that, right? They did not think of whatever came before that happened. And may indicates it was in the past. 没想到我没想到你今天会来 You know, I didn't, never thought you'd come today. It doesn't mean I was unable to think of it. It means I never thought of it. Now, what you said was 他想不到. That you're correct. That means he's unable to think of that, right? It's pretty unlikely that's actually true, but maybe, you know, maybe the, he's just unable to conceptualize that a virus is spreadable or something, but still uh 想不到 means you're incapable of thinking with the result of arriving at this understanding or, or whatever it is. 他想不到得病以后可以传染 uh, Right? So, uh, 能传染 So, like, uh, 传染 means to uh, infect or spread. So, 他没想到得病之后能传染 他想不到他想不到他想不到 yeah, yeah, that would mean he cannot think with the result being that viruses can spread. It's impossible, right? So, um, you know, also, there's another interesting one with xiang that you'll hear people say a lot, which is uh, 我想不通我想不通 which means, like, I can't think to that conclusion. I can't think to clarity on this one, uh, which is something you might say if you're struggling to come to a conclusion about what you should do or or how uh, something conceptually works. 我想不通通 means communicate or, uh, well, 通 has a number of words, but like a 通 is a clear path through something. Like 沟通 is the word for communicate. And if a 通 is clear, it, it's like a, a tube almost that you could pass through. And if you 想不通, it's like you can't find your way through. Uh, you know, uh, would mean you cannot walk through. So, for example, there's a construction site. I might say, 走得通吗? Uh, and they would say, 走不通. 
right? So tong would mean you, zobutong would mean you cannot walk with the result of getting through this path or something. So xiangbutong is like, I cannot come to a, uh, an understanding through thinking. I cannot reach clarity of, of you know, thinking uh, in this way. So, you know, that's another one you might use. Xiangbudao is like, even like, Xiangbudao is like, I don't have the processing power to make this happen. And again, Mei Xiangdao is, there's no indication about ability. It's just that it didn't happen. You did not think of it, right? Rick again on bonus special, emphasizing details with shi de. One week into the foundation course, I was so eager to learn about the shi de topic that I specifically asked for this lesson so I could figure it out right away. Luke did email to the shi de lessons. Needless to say, even up to this point, now I don't understand it quite well at all. It is not the fault of Mandarin Blueprint, but I am not adverse to the shi de anymore because I see it all the time. I hear it all the time and I read it all the time. It is there all the time. In fact, I am getting used to it. In fact, I'm even using it without much thought in a few sentences I venture to make. From time to time, I use it for possessive nouns and past actions of what the guest slash object did in that sentence. What I am sharing in my experience is this. Just listen a lot, read a lot, and absorb a lot. And one final thing, the Mandarin Blueprint is very gradual in its dosage of inputs, and I plus one is good enough. Thanks again to Luke and Phil. So thanks for making this point, Rick. This is very true. Like, you know... It's so easy to over-intellectualize these points. It's like, oh, I I'm going to think all about how to, uh, you know, figure out how this shi-de construction works and how exactly does it emphasize details and all that. But as per usual, the real thing that makes it all work is just... Um, the real thing that makes it all worse is just seeing it loads of times and understanding the larger context. So if you get the larger context and you see what the person is saying and it's within the context of a chapter of a book or a paragraph or something or a dialogue, then what that does is that shows you that uh, this is the context in which you might use an emphasis of detail. So the intellectual sort of analysis of it is less effective than just continuing. And so Rick is just pay, paying attention to how that process developed for him. He was very intellectually curious, went to try to understand it. was like, okay, I think I get it. Uh, but even when arriving back at that le lesson later, he's still like, I don't feel like I intellectually totally understand it, but isn't this interesting? Even though I'm intellectually not totally understanding it, I'm still finding myself able to naturally output it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a, an indication that language acquisition isn't actually an intellectual pursuit? It's much more of an intuitive pursuit. So thanks for sharing that, Rick. That's a very uh, salient point. Rick on the short story, Baba. About a month ago, I listened to Luke's encouragement to shadow. Well, I took the piece that was offered there, and it was this, Baba. Went to this piece for a week, reading, listening, shadowing, and perspiring. In my rush, I failed to read the small print, level 25, <laughs> was at a lower level at the time. I thought the new words and phrases was part of the I plus one method. I thought I did well, but in reality, I did not. Had I taken the readings for the level where I was at the time, I would have fared better, also because they were shorter. But that's water under the bridge, my error. However, the lesson prior to level 25 really prepares me to face squarely and readily Wohababa. There is indeed much thought and much experience involved in the making of the Mandarin Bluebird method. So moving forward, I trust the Mandarin Bluebird method because Luke and Phil went through these difficulties themselves. 
They were saving us many unnecessary troubles ahead. Whatever we study now, we will surely meet them again. So learn them well now, and Anki will remind us in due time. Absolutely, Rick. That's completely what we're going for. It's, you know, you're not uh, going to... Um, you're definitely not going to be in a situation where you understand something before you're ready for it. So you want to get to it at the point where we introduce it in the course and even then have an, a relaxed attitude about it, especially in phase four. Phase four has, it's at a time when you're just getting used to longer form content. And so if you don't understand something, it's really best to just move on and just go, okay, I'll get it soon. I'll get it soon. And you will. It's like, it's just a matter of continuing to, to move forward. Just keep moving forward. And a lot of your questions that come up will be answered naturally. We, I think we have another one from William Beeman on Wohababa. He said, I appreciate the many sentiments about this story. I think of the Harry Chapin song, Cats in the Cradle, also made so famous by Cat Stevens. Uh, here's the YouTube link. And he, yeah, that Cats in the Cradle song is, you know, a very emotional song about fathers and sons. But I do have a grammar question. In I know all the words, but I can't see what the function of EDR serves in the sentence. It seems it could be left out. Can you enlighten me? EDR ye bu or EDR do bu are both set phrases that mean not even a little bit. And it makes sense. So EDR, one bit, also not. Right? So as if somebody was saying like, well, surely you hate your father or you dislike your father a little bit. And you're like, no, even one bit also not hate father, right? So it's a way of emphasizing not even a little bit. So what's high fashion? Right. And so uh, I discovered that I don't dislike my father at all, even a little bit. So that's the answer. That's what that means. So those are both related to the uh, uh short story. And that is a really nice little story that Annie wrote. Mia Mu on Anki Dex Inside must watch how to review with the Mandarin Blueprint method. What's your guys' opinion on doing other methods alongside this? For example, sentence mining. Absolutely do sentence mining. Now, sentence mining gets easier to do as you get later into the course. So sentence mining is the process of finding a sentence to help you uh, acquire a word. So if you find a sentence on, say, bing.com slash dict, linedict.com, juku.com, uh, and there's other loads of other places where you can find Chinese sentences, uh, just, you know, bing.com slash dict is one of the easiest ones because you just type in the word and it gives you example sentences with the word right there. Now, the earlier you are on the course, the less effective this is because ideally you want your sentences to be I plus one. You want them to be mostly at your level and maybe a little bit above. Maybe there's a word in it that you don't know, but you want the rest of it to be known because you don't want that to be the thing that's holding you up. And the problem with looking on these uh, sentence warehouse websites and these dictionary websites is that they have so many sentences that have, and they have no understanding of your own level. So if you're trying to sentence mine in level 12, bit tough. If you're trying to sentence mine in level 40, bit easier. You can probably find some sentences uh, for a word that are at your level or just slightly above your level much more easily when you're, when you know more characters and words. So I would say that, uh, you can absolutely, I mean, please do. If you didn't, I would be, you know, uh, worried that you won't get enough input. Like as you get later into the course, the idea is that you want to be able to start to transition 
to other resources that are just, you know, I mean, like, ideally you want to transition to straight up Chinese, just reading articles and books and newspapers and magazines and WeChat articles in Chinese. You just want all that to be uh, at your disposal, but it's very difficult when you don't know a lot of characters and words, so you use Mandarin Blueprint until you can get to that point. But there are definitely points while you're still doing Mandarin Blueprint where you can find more resources, and it's just a matter of when. I would say early in the course, if Mandarin Blueprint were all you were using to learn Chinese, uh, the early in the course, sentence mining is a little bit harder. Later in the course, it's a bit easier. It's really easy later. Next, we have a question from Jason Pond on new vocabulary unlocked for zui hao. So he asks the question, zui hao is a separate word here, but in the lesson for zui by itself, the sentence mama shi zui hao de was used, which also has zui hao, but has a completely different meaning of is the best. Was zui hao used in this sentence with the same meaning as had better, it would be best, or is that a different meaning due to the specific context of mama shi zui hao de? Right, so this is a good question. So in the sentence, mama shi zui hao de, zui is an adverb and hao is an adjective, right? So uh, zui is by itself, it's a word by itself, and you could put something else after it. So mama shi zui kai xin de, mom is the happiest, and the est part of it is the is the zui, the most happy. She's the most happy, right? So um, that's what zui means there. It's making clear that the adjective that comes uh, after zui is the most of that adjective. Uh, and zui hao meaning had better, it would be best, um, is at the beginning of the sentence, and it's usually used in a way of like, 你最好今天去机场. You'd better go to the uh, airport today, right? So it would be best for you to go to the airport today. And so that is different because it's in the context of the sentence it's suggesting uh it's an adverb of a of a tone of voice or adverb of degree right now the second question here relates directly to that he says hao sounds a lot like hai shi or expressing preference of an alternative as it was learned can they be comparable in this sense with each one being used in different contexts or would you say they are completely different they are very comparable i would say the only difference is degree it's just a matter of degree so uh you know, 你还是今天去机场 versus 你最好今天去机场. Uh, the difference between those two sentences is really just degree. If I say, if you say 你还是今天去机场, it's like, you'd better go to the airport today. Whereas 你最好今天去机场 is, it would be best for you to go to the airport today. So it's like the, it's just stronger. It's just a bit stronger if you say 最好. So yeah, that's pretty much it for the differences between those two. Thanks for the question, Jason. Next, we'll move on to some movie scene shares. Uh, this is movies uh, that are the full mnemonic representation of a given character. So first, we have Hank Elliott on Make a Movie for Tsu, which is like the kind of, um, this is the character that's the more formal version of Zhu. Zhu means this, and Tsu is like the more literary this. For example, you could say, from this, right? Eighth character we learned in the Mandarin Blueprint method. Is a formal way of saying from this and then whatever comes next. And so you'll see that a lot in stories, for example. So here's Hank's scene for Christopher Walken is in my childhood bedroom 
dancing around a stop sign that's in the middle of the room. Nice. So that covers right off the bat. We've got our pronunciation. Christopher Walken in the childhood bedroom represents tsu, and we already have the left side component of the stop sign, which is ju. He has a ladle in his hand, the right side component, and he's singing the old Fat Boy Slim song he did a video of in the 80s. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher Walken did that Fat Boy uh, Slim song. I hear him singing, you can blow with this or you can blow with that. Okay. Each time he says this, he bangs on the stop sign with the ladle. You can blow with this smack. You can blow with that. You can blow with this smack. You can blow with that, etc. Awesome connection. I remember that perfectly clear, uh, and it, and because it's from the song, and he's smacking on the moment that he says this, perfect. Hank, excellent scene. George Lore on Make a Movie for J. Jason Statham, the transporter, appears in the kitchen of my eye set, which it should be childhood home. He wants to pick up a big foam finger to be transported. Okay, nice. So the big foam finger is the left side. But the client wants to change the change the good. Now a medical pill needs to be transported. Okay, so that's the right side component. Foam finger and right side component. He's making Jason Statham's character be the transporter. No way. Jason persists on rule number one. Never change a deal. I was terrible, Jason Statham expression. People say I look like him in here in China. I don't think I do, but people think that because they're like, oh, he's bald and you're bald, so they must be the same. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I like that cause it connects to something that your actor does and, um, you know, his persistence is definitely something you could point out. I mean, like persistence is definitely tough to express, you know, in a scene, you know, but I think that that was pretty good, uh, in the sense that he's never going to change the deal. I'd be curious if you forgot the, the meaning of the character with that scene, but I don't think so. I think you'll remember it. George again on Make a Movie for Ting. Julia Roberts meets in front of my ENG set an old man. She barely recognizes the bewildered and irritated looking, obviously senile man. It's Winston Churchill. <laughs> he still carries the atom case to enable the ignition of the nuclear slash atom bombs. And atom is the uttermost small microscopic xiao. Right, so okay, so the... The Winston Churchill is the top component of the top hat and the mouth. And then the bottom component uh, is the small component. And he's saying that's like an atom bomb. And, and Adam is really small. Fair enough. Julia gets really frightened as Winston asks her for the direction to the capital. She completely freaks out. All right. Okay. I love the props here. The props are great. Winston Churchill being all senile and creating tension because he's got the connection to the atom bombs. And if you're senile with atom bombs, it's kind of scary, right? Um, and then he asks for directions to the capital. And I guess the connection that's very clear here is that if you were going to set off nuclear bombs, you'd probably send them at a country's capital, right? Like it seems the logical first place to go to if you're really trying to incapacitate them and have no moral fiber. Um, but you get the idea. So it's like, uh, I guess that's clear enough. I mean, I would want to get something more visual rep visually representation uh, representative of the um, capital. So perhaps he's looking for directions to the capital and in one direction you can see like the Forbidden City or something. The Forbidden City being the center of Beijing. Uh, and of course his character being Jing, uh, here, or it could be Tokyo cause that's Dongjing, or it could be some landmark in Nanjing. If you happen to know some landmarks in Nanjing. So yeah, nice. I love that scene. 
And that concludes this week's podcast. Again, please check out the podcast we did with John Fotheringham over at languagemastery.com. And, uh, you know, it was a really great fun doing that with him. It's actually languagemastery.com slash blog slash Mandarin uh, hyphen blueprints. So you can find that there. And again, we have the link in the show notes right towards the top. So uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.